0: 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to pick it up right where I left it off, I think about five months ago. So if you don't remember where that was, it's okay, neither did I. So uh, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking it up in verse 13. Uh, Just by way of explanation, the reason why we're uh, there is because whenever art is out, I try to work my way through a book of the Bible. So sometimes that takes only a year. Uh, Sometimes that takes me several years to get through a book, uh, depending on how often I get to fill in for our pastor. Uh, So we find ourselves this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 13. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together this morning? We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, we are told, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phrygius and Harmogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Oneseraths, for he often refreshed refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Would you pray with me once more? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we examine your word this morning, we pray that we would let it examine our hearts. Lord, that as we study, Lord, that you would speak. Uh, You would answer the questions in our minds, Lord, and speak to the questions we can't even form that are in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here this morning, Lord, that you would wash us with the water of your word. And Lord, that as you work in uh, this truth into our hearts, Lord, that throughout the rest of this week and with our lives, we would work it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Second Timothy is not written by Timothy, but to Timothy, uh, by Paul, uh, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is simply one who is sent out with a message. And so uh, if you're a parent, uh, you've made possibly your kids apostles at time, where you've sent them out with the message that it is dinner time. (laughs) And so they were sent with a message. uh, So likewise, Paul was sent with a message, the message of the gospel, sent by Jesus uh, to a particular group of people, to the Gentiles. He uh, recognized, and others uh, at the time that he was alive, recognized that God had uniquely called him and gifted him, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he had done that with much of his life, and he knew that at the very beginning of his spiritual life. Uh, Paul wasn't always a Christian, and he didn't always go by the name of Paul. Before Paul uh, started going by Paul, he was going by Saul. He had both names for all the, the whole time, but he, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he spent most of his time, before he became a Christian, persecuting Christians, uh, which the result of that was he was spreading the church out of uh, the um, out of Jerusalem that was meeting there, and he was persecuting them into foreign cities. And so, even before he became an apostle and church planter, where he would go out and plant churches in a variety of cities in a variety of places, he was involved in sending the church out, <laughs> just not in a very positive way. Um, but the Lord had always used him, whether uh, according to His will or against His will, to to spread. Uh, the good news of the gospel, either through persecuting the church before he became a believer or after. But when he got saved, the Lord told him on the day he got saved exactly what he would be doing. Uh, And then there was a a period of time between that time and uh, when the Lord would actually commission him with that mission uh, through the church. And so he was planting churches, he was pastoring churches, he was raising up pastors and elders in churches as he was going along And as he went, he took along with him a young man by the name of Timothy, uh, the the person to whom this letter is written. And he says some very unique things about Timothy of all of the people that Paul met and all of the places that Paul went and all of the gospel ministry that Paul did. He he was only able to say of Timothy that he has no one else like Hardin, like Timothy. And he left Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor of that church. Uh, while he was away, and he's writing letters, both he wrote a letter to the Church of Ephesus, uh, and then he also wrote First and Second Timothy as the pastor of that church and how to conduct himself in the church, um, kind of how does God want church to, to work out? That's First Timothy. And then his focus in Second Timothy is on the character um, and conduct of, of the pastor of the church. And so Second Timothy is very focused on what a pastor should be like and uh, the character he should have, and, and the actions he should take based off of those things. And 2 Timothy is also written at the very end of uh, Paul's life, um, and he knows it's the end of his life. He, he says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, around verse 6, that the time of his departure is at hand. Uh, what he means by that is he, he knows that the Lord is going to take him home. He's going to die soon, And this will probably be his last letter that he gets to send Timothy. And so uh, if you think about the weight of the importance of the ministry that God had given to Paul, and then now he's giving that to his son in the faith, the only one that he knew of that shared the same heart for ministry and for people that he had, he's giving his final instructions to. Uh, And so it's, it's with his own... And in mind and with the work of the ministry that will continue on after he departs, that he's writing what he's writing and uh, what he wrote at the very beginning in first Timothy chapter one uh, from verses one through twelve, it was an encouragement to Timothy uh, to not be afraid but to be bold and to be strong and to not be ashamed of the gospel so that he would continue in the work. and when we studied that together it was Uh, A reminder to us of a a very similar encouragement that Moses had given to uh, Joshua. Uh, Joshua was told by Moses and then again told by God be bold, (laughs) be strong, be courageous in the work that you were going to do. And it wasn't because Joshua wasn't a bold and courageous guy. He was the first guy fighting in the first battle, (laughs) and then he was also the last guy fighting in the last battle. He was the only one who was. Faithful from the exodus that got to go into the promised land. If there was one guy who probably didn't need to be encouraged to be bold and courageous, it would probably have been Joshua. And yet, nevertheless, he was encouraged to take courage and to be bold. Uh, much in the same way where uh, championship teams, before they're going into their last uh, event or last game that they're going to do, the the prep talk before that is, this is our time to shine. We need to, and it's not because. They can't. It's because now is the right time uh, to to demonstrate that strength and demonstrate that courage. And so, in the same way, Paul throughout this letter, over twenty-five times, encourages Timothy to be strong, to be bold, to be cur- courageous. And it's not—I don't think—because he's not strong or not courageous. But now, now is the time to demonstrate that courage and demonstrate that boldness that would be necessary to fulfill the ministry that God was giving to him. And Paul wanted his last words to Timothy to encourage him to that end. And in this particular section, uh, the, the verses that we just read in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 2, uh, verse 2, he's going to focus on two things. Um, he's going to focus on the message and the messenger, uh, and how those two are related to each other and uh, not only uh, for Timothy, but for successive generations after that. So Paul uh, begins his first exhortation, three commands he's going to give to Timothy, and the first command is to hold, or to hold fast. Notice there in verse 13 what Paul commands Timothy to do. He says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith, and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the term there, to hold fast, it, just, it simply means to, to have a very firm grip on, and this is important for any pastor. He must have a firm grasp on the pattern of sound words. Uh, what that those words mean, the pattern, is kind of like an architectural plan, a, a blueprint, if you would, of how things are supposed to be and having a firm grasp on that, and then he says of sound words. It's kind of a loose reference to uh, the gospel ministry that Paul had been exercising, and specifically the gospel which Paul preached. Uh, There was a time in Paul's life when he arrived at a a church in Galatia, and he even wrote uh, uh, this in his letter to the Galatians, where um, they weren't being straightforward about the gospel, and there was only one time where Paul is, like, publicly rebuking another member of another apostle in front of other people, and it was because he was not being straightforward with the truth of the gospel. And it's the truth of the gospel that's the blueprint, the, the foundation of ministry, the the sound words which God had given specifically to Paul. Uh, Paul describes this event in his own life in a variety of places, but my favorite spot is in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 3. He He's writing to those in Ephesus and he's like gets distracted in describing who he is but he describes in chapter 3 the first first uh, 15 verses or so how God had called him uniquely and had given him and committed to him the gospel to the Gentiles and he took firm hold of that himself and now he's looking to Timothy and he's like I want you to hold fast the truth of this and how I want you to do that he describes it in two ways he says in faith And in love, in faith, is just believing it to be God's word from God and handling it as such and obeying it as such and studying it as if it is, in fact, what it is, the truth of God's word. So not only that he would be encouraging others to do that, but as a model of it himself, holding those sound words in faith and then also holding those sound words in love. Uh, sometimes giving the opposite of that can be helpful. So it's not in proud arrogance or self-seeking superiority. Um, Sometimes uh, this can happen, uh, I I know none of you have ever experienced this, but where where you learn something and all of a sudden you you feel like you're better than somebody else because of it. Um, At Bible college, this is often the case where they've spent two years Learning and not two years doing, and they'll come back and they're like, I know everything, and they're like a teenager again (laughs) who knows everything but hasn't done anything. And um, this is what Paul means by holding uh, the sound words in love, it's not having a perfect understanding of it and knowledge that would puff up. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians that sometimes if all we're focusing on is learning and learning and learning, and we're only worried about what God's doing from our shoulders up that our, our minds are becoming sharper, that we're, we're understanding God's word clearer, um, but it's not changing the way we live. It's not changing our attitude. It's not changing our actions. It's not changing the words that are coming out of our mouth. Uh, that's a work that's in our heart. Uh, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, the Bible encourages us to speak the truth in love because that's what God does. <laughs> he, sp- he spoke the truth in love to us. God spoke the truth and love to Paul while he was on the road to Damascus <laughs> about what he was doing and to whom he was doing it. And you're here this morning, I'm convinced, because somebody took the time to speak the truth to you in love. Sound words that they weren't trying to beat you up with the truth of the gospel. They weren't trying to win an argument. They were trying to win a soul. That's why I'm here, because somebody took the time to hold the to the sound words of the gospel, but to hold them in love and in faith, modeling it and speaking it in such a way as to encourage me to participate in it. So he's again supposed to hold these things and he tells us he he tells Timothy where he got this structure or this architecture or this these sound words from notice again there, which you have heard from me. Uh, he didn't send him to Bible college because they didn't have that back in the day. Uh, he just traveled around with the Apostle Paul, um, which uh, if you were Timothy's mom, I'm not sure if you would have let him do that. Uh, because the first time they met, uh, he was uh, getting kicked out of cities, causing riots, and he was actually stoned to death, or they, at least they thought he was dead, and <laughs> got back up and went back and preached the gospel. And then the next missionary trip he was gonna go on, He's like, Timothy, do you want to come with me? And also, the first place we're going to go to is the place they tried to kill me. <laughs> Don't tell your mom. <laughs> right? That That's a guy who's going to, it's going to take guts and boldness to go with that guy, first of all. And then Paul for Paul to say, I've got no one who's like-hearted and like-minded. That tells you a lot about Timothy and his character and his attitude toward Uh, being straightforward with the truth of the gospel, and the fact that Timothy was able to spend that time with him and hear the gospel being shared over and over again in in many different contexts, in many different cities, Paul could say to Timothy that these things that I'm asking you to hold on to, it's not something that you've had to learn from someone else or to uh, gain by going somewhere else, but it's it's from our personal relationship that we've had one another. You have heard these words. he's going to say this again in chapter two when he's encouraging him to share these words with other people he He says in chapter two verse two again, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses it's the same things that he's talking about. The things in which he's talking about are the message <laughs> and he's he's in telling. Timothy, as a messenger, you must hold firm to this message. You must not let it go, and it must be this message and not any other message. So it was a a message that Paul had personally communicated to Timothy, that Timothy had personally heard from Paul. So the first command, hold, or hold fast. The second command that Paul gives to uh, Timothy is to keep So there's kind of a progression here, we'll see. Uh, First you're holding it, and then you're keeping it. So notice with me, verses uh, 14 through 18. Paul writes, That good thing which was committed to you, keep, by the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phrygius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And this you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Again, the command that he gives is kind of in the center of verse 14, is keep, keep. And what he means there is not like, you know, put it in a drawer somewhere in your house. Uh, the word here for keep, it, it has more along the lines of the connotations of guarding and keeping it safe and keeping it from being taken away or keeping it from being distorted or um, marginalized. Uh, and so Paul had spent his life modeling what that looked like. Not only did Paul have a firm grasp of what the good news of the gospel was, but he also put himself... <laughs> in between uh, people who would try to marginalize or uh, change the message of the gospel. Again, he would rebuke uh, Peter in front of everyone for for trying to make unclear the clear message of the gospel. And he says, uh, keep it, guard it, and don't back down from that message. he calls the message, I, I like the phrase that he uses in verse 14, the message here is called the good thing. <laughs> and I, I love that as a, a title for the gospel. It's a good thing. And it was, notice, committed to Timothy. He says, that good thing which was committed to you. Uh, it, it speaks of a, a transfer of, from one person to another person. It's like you go to the bank and you make a deposit of money. You're committing that money to their trust, with the trust that they're going to keep that money safe for you. And Paul is saying in the same way, this has been committed to you. And Paul, even in his own history, would say concerning himself that the gospel was, from the Lord, committed to him, a gospel that he felt was in his responsibility to be shared with the Gentiles, the whole Gentile world. And so Paul is passing that and reminding him that uh, what he's supposed to hold, he's not just to have a firm grasp on, a a complete understanding of, but that he's supposed to guard it, it, that he's supposed to remain faithful to it. And then he gives us two examples of people who were faithful and unfaithful. Uh, He gives us the unfaithful example first, people who, once they had it, did not keep it. He points to us uh, in verse 15, those who did not keep it, uh, in general, and those in, in, in particular, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. When Paul, at this point, he's writing from a Roman prison, which is not uncommon for Paul to be writing from a prison... Uh, But this would probably be his last time writing from a prison in the sense that all of the other times he was confident that he was going to be leaving, and this time he's not so confident that he'll be leaving. We're not 100% sure where this this letter lines up with the chronology of his life, but he lacks that confidence that he had in other letters uh, when he was writing it. And he's saying that nobody's standing with him. He'll say at the end of this letter that the Lord is standing with him and that there are a few that are still there, committed to him, but that for the most part, when, when it came down to guarding the gospel and putting personal freedoms on the line, that there wasn't very many people he could think of. And when he names the two people he names, it would be, I believe, a surprise to Timothy because he, he first starts off by saying, you know that most people aren't standing with me, but then he names two people <laughs> as if to say, even them. And... and Timothy, I don't want you to be like even them. And then he gives them the counter example of the, the one person that he wants to Timothy to, to follow as an example. Uh, he says, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he, notice, often refreshed me. Uh, the phrase there is, uh, from what my, my studying of that is used most often in the context of during uh, the middle of a hot day, somebody bringing a cool drink. In a chair. <laughs> if you've ever been there, where you're in the middle of a hot day working outside and somebody brings you a cold drink in a chair, that is refreshing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that it, there's, when you're in that place, there's nothing better than that. And what Paul is saying is that he didn't just do this once, but it was what he did often. And it was how he handled uh, his reflection of his relationship with Paul and his relationship with serving the Lord and being faithful to that, not being ashamed of associating with Paul, who is a prisoner in Rome. Uh, if you can imagine, if if Pastor Art wasn't here this morning because not because he was at a wedding, but because he was in jail for preaching the gospel, and then you're like, "So uh, who's your pastor? Oh, is this Pastor Art? Well, where, where's he at? Well, uh, you, you know, he's in jail <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> this is the conversation that." people would be having with Timothy. <laughs> like, oh, well, who, you know, who's commissioned you to do this work? Oh, it's, it's Paul. Oh, wh- where's he at? I don't see him around. Uh, he's, he's in Roman prison right now. <laughs> that would be an awkward conversation. And, and Paul's like, I don't want you to be ashamed of where I'm at because where I'm at is a result of my obedience to the Lord. And I don't want you to not be obedient to the Lord because of what it might cost you. And it would would seem from the context here that these other people were choosing comfort over faithfulness, and that this one individual was choosing faithfulness over comfort. Uh, We're told that he refreshed him often because he was not ashamed of the chains, and that when he arrived in Rome, he sought him out very zealously to find him. Um, I was thinking about this, of how hard it would be to find somebody back in the day, (laughs) like if you just showed up somewhere and there's, there's no even phone books then, okay, I guess I'm going to go visit every prison and ask for, you know, the guy preaching the gospel. You'll know him. He's the one who's happy to be where he's at at the moment. And uh, a friend of mine was telling me a story of when they were on a mission trip and they got separated from their group in a country that they didn't speak the language in. And there was like no contingency plan. Like, hey, if you get separated, let's all meet here. And so <laughs> the Lord put it on their heart to go to where the money exchange was because that's where all the missionaries go eventually because they need to exchange money to get the next meal. And so they just hung out there until their group found them. And uh, the group started looking for them, but they started looking for them zealously. And they did find them. And that's what Paul is saying about uh, his friend here is that there's these people who are distancing themselves from them, and then there were people who were actively pursuing him. And, and pursuing those who were whose job it was to spread the gospel and to su- support them, to offer them a chair and a cup of cold water in, in the work that they were doing. And that was what Paul was pointing to about guarding versus not guarding, is, is there's going to be people that aren't going to be faithful. And, and when Paul looked at Timothy, he didn't want him to be in the unfaithful category. He wanted him to be a faithful steward of what God... Um, had committed to him as far as what God was calling him to do. But the key to success in keeping isn't a resolve or a commitment that you make to your pastor or to your spouse or to your church. The key to success for faithfully keeping the good news of the gospel is found there in verse 14. He says, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, the work that Paul was asking Timothy to do was not a work that Timothy could do apart from God's help. And that's true of every work that God calls any of us to do. The things that God asks us to do, we cannot do apart from God and the grace that he gives us to do that work, which is the Spirit at work in us and through us. Uh, There's no way to walk in obedience apart from God helping us. And sometimes that's more obvious to us than others. There are times when God asks us to do something and we're like, oh yeah, I got that, no problem. There are other times God asks us to do something and they're like, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. God, what you're asking me, there's no way I can do that. And I wanna tell you that that second way of looking at it is always true. (laughs) That if you think you can do it apart from God, you can't. You need God at work in you, the power of the Holy Spirit working through you to walk in a life that's obedient to the things that God is calling you to do. But here's the thing. God wants you to be successful in it. God wants to give you the spirit and to give you the power to walk in obedience to him. He's more interested in your obedience than you are. And he's more ready to give to you the things you need to walk in that obedience than we are at times willing to ask. The way I I've come to describe it in my own walk with the Lord, is that God sponsors all of his own events. Um, when I was in third grade, I, I got held back. When I was in kindergarten, I got held back. And when I was in junior high, I was in resource classes because apparently reading is a requirement and they want you to be able to do that with some kind of proficiency, <laughs> I'm just not good at it. And it took, me for a while. it took me a while to get to a point where I can do that in a way that was okay. And then God called me to read in front of people. God, what are you doing? (laughs) This seems like a terrible plan. And then God called me to go to a graduate school. And I'm not sure if you're aware of what they do at graduate school, but all they do is give you books to read and then more books to read and give you a research paper to write on things you have no idea about, so you have to read to be able to write those. And it's like way, way beyond anything I would be able to do. And yet God did it anyway. And those who know me best and then saw what God was doing, they're like, the Spirit is at work in that man. You know how I know? Because I know him. He can't do that. (laughs) And that's, that's, what it sh- that's what it is for each one of us. I don't know what it is in particular that God is calling you to, but you can't do it. But God can do it through you. The, the two scriptures that always come to my mind in regards to this are what Jesus says when he's using himself as an illustration of vines and branches. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do as much apart from me as a branch that's not connected to a vine just nothing. (laughs) Shrivel up, die, burn. That's it. That's all a branch not connected to the vine can do. Can't produce any fruit. There's another verse that Paul would write about in his own personal experience in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That's not all things except this, 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 and this. When I was first trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, I'm like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, this is what I can do. And he's like, great, this is what we're doing. I'm like, wait, 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 wait this is what I can do. (laughs) And he's like, no, but this is what we're doing, (laughs) because this is what I can do through you. My limitations, my inabilities do not limit God, and my abilities don't enhance God's ability to use me. Now, God is going to gift you for what God has called you to, and then there's going to be a time of training and, you know, developing those gifts. We're going to talk about that in a minute here, but what God has called you to do He's very interested in you doing, but he's also very committed to you doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do what God has called you to do in your own strength. And if you've tried, like I have, (laughs) then you know that. (laughs) But I also want you to know through having the experience that what God has called you to do, you are more than able to do because God is on your side to do that because he's interested in your obedience in this area. And Paul's reminding Timothy of this. This isn't probably new information, but it's still necessary information for him to hear. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The last command that Paul gives to Timothy is in chapter 2. It's going to be in verse 2, but uh, before we get to that, there's another strong encouragement that he gives him. The last command, just so you're not distracted like I would be, in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, is uh, the command to commit. Uh, So notice verse 2, And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's a progression. Paul says, I've committed something to you that you're supposed to hold, guard, and then commit. Again, that commit is to deposit (laughs) into, uh, to trust or entrust somebody with. Um, But before he gets there and before we kind of dive deep into that, he's given another command to be strong in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, in relationship to these two examples, this faithful man and these unfaithful men in relationship to their walking in obedience to what God had called them to, Paul not only wanted him to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he needed to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if there's something that each of us can be strong in, it's in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Grace is just unmerited favor, unearned good things, Uh, things that you didn't deserve, but you get anyway. Paul would write concerning himself that uh, there was something in his life that was painful and annoying. He called it uh, a thorn in the flesh. Whatever that was, we're not 100% sure, but he prayed three times that God would take it away. And if, you know, you're writing scripture and whatnot and you're praying, you'd think that maybe your prayers would be answered. But God didn't answer the prayer the way that Paul wanted it to be answered. He wanted the stake to be removed. (laughs) It wasn't answered that way. Uh, God spoke to him, and the answer that God gave to Paul in that context was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And here's the deal. If you can be weak, God's grace can be strong. The more I thought about that when I was growing up, I was like, wow, that makes me like a spiritual Superman. (laughs) I'm weak in so many areas. That just gives God's grace more opportunity to show its strength. And as I've grown and matured in Christ, what I've come to realize is that if that's true, those areas that I think I'm strong in, that I'm not asking for God's grace in, those areas are really my, my weaknesses. Because I'm not looking for help. I'm not asking for help. I'm not looking for God's strength to be made perfect. Because I think I have it. I think I got this, Lord. And that's not the case. If I just say, Lord, I've got nothing, <laughs> then he's going to give me everything. It's going to be his strength on display and not mine. And that's what a life lived for the Lord can look like. It's knowing what God has called you to. It's knowing that God has gifted you with gifts to, to serve in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. Paul served both in the, in the body of Christ and was a missionary preaching the gospel outside of the body of Christ. He was gifted in those, in those things. And you know, the world that we live in right now, they're trying to figure out life apart from God. Um, part of uh, my work that I do, I'm uh, a manager that's learning how to do management stuff, and so I'm reading lots of books on management and time, you know, efficiency and different things like that, trying to do better at work with the, the resources they have, but they're all, they're all looking for a calling without a caller. They're all looking for a purpose without somebody giving them that purpose. And what we have in Christ is the full knowledge that God made us on purpose— and with a purpose that only we can walk in. Uh, I can't do what God has called you to do because God didn't call me to do it. I don't have the gifts that God gave you. You have the gifts God has given you. And there is no greater joy than walking in those things. The thing that God has called you to do, being filled with his spirit and seeing him at work in your life and through your life, that's what life is supposed to be like. That's what the world is looking for. When they're doing thrill-seeking things or trying to become the, the biggest company with, you know, and have all of these things, what they're after is what is available to each one of us this morning in Christ Jesus, which is a, a life that is filled with meaning and purpose. And then all of the things that we need to do those things aren't things that are outside of our grasp. We don't have to go to a four-year college to get them. We go to our knees in prayer and ask for them. Paul also talks about, because there's these three aspects to, to, to what God has called you to. There's a calling that comes from God. Uh, there's giftings that God has given you. And what overlaps with those giftings is a development of those gifts, where there's somebody that's pouring into you and showing you how to walk more fully in those things that God has given you. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is see people who are gifted in something walk in that gift. One of my favorite things to do sometimes uh, when I'm wanting to waste time, to be honest, <laughs> is I'll go onto YouTube and look and at, you know, gold buzzer winners from like The Voice or from talent shows where like this guy sells cell phones but he can sing like this. Well, let me tell you, that guy was not called to sell cell phones. <laughs> he should have been singing like this for everybody all the time, <laughs> right? And you get to see somebody walk in the thing that they were gifted in. It's not only a, an enjoyable thing to do for yourself, but it's a beautiful thing to see. And there is that for you. As long as we're alive on earth, uh, there's something that God has for us. Heaven is much nicer right now. And if, it, if there was nothing for us to do, if he just wanted us to waste time watching YouTube videos, <laughs> he had just taken us home. But by evidence that you're here this morning, God still has a plan and a purpose for you that's going to require his spirit working in you and through you. And it may require some of the development of gifts. It may require you helping somebody else develop those gifts. Paul is at the end of his ministry, and yet he's still at work in his ministry. He's writing a letter to Timothy to encourage him, to strengthen him, to build him up, to give him guidance. And it requires strength in the grace of God because his grace is sufficient in our weaknesses. So Paul, again, that last command is to commit or deposit or entrust. And he says these things. He's again referring to the message of the gospel. Commit these things, the things that I've committed to you, is now your job. It's going, to be, it's going to be your job. What Paul's doing right now is going to be what Timothy's going to need to do at the end of his life, is to commit the message of the gospel. Commit these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to notice two things in there. First, uh, the two. Characteristics of the people he's supposed to commit these to faithful and able uh, with the ability to teach. Um, in 1 Timothy, when he's describing the role of an elder, he says that the one gifting that they need to have is they need to be apt to teach, is the, the phrase it uses in 1 Timothy when he's describing the different offices in the church. And here he he references that, but he he says before they have the ability or the gifting to do something a characteristic, a a character trait that they have. And it's the one he's been harping on the whole time. Faithful. Paul had been faithful as a messenger of the gospel. Timothy is being encouraged to remain faithful, hold (laughs) onto, keep, and commit. That's faithfulness. And he's like, when you're looking to commit this gospel, don't just find people who are able to do it that's not the, the second thing I want you to notice is the order. It's faithfulness first. He says faithful, and then he says will be able. So they may not even be able yet, <laughs> but they're demonstrating faithfulness. He says, look for those men and notice the extent to which he's supposed to train them, the extent to which he's supposed to commit these things to them. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if you look at it and you break it down, there's at least four generations of gospel transmission that's happening here. It starts with Paul, goes to Timothy, goes from Timothy to faithful men, goes from faithful men to others also. So Paul, when he's training, (laughs) when he's committing, he's not just thinking of the next generation, he's thinking of three generations after him. He's got four generations in mind. Paul, the things that you have heard from me, Timothy, the things that you have heard. (laughs) Faithful men, commit these to faithful men, others, who will be able to teach others also. Paul has two expectations here throughout this entire teaching. His first expectation is that the messengers will change. From the very beginning, when we talked about this letter being a letter that Paul wrote at the end of his life, it's a time of transition. This wasn't just going to be the end of a chapter. This was going to be the start of a second volume in Timothy's life. Volume 1, life with Paul. Volume 2, life without Paul. This isn't just a chapter break in his life. This is a significant break in his life as far as it's going to be different after this. And his expectation was that the messengers were going to change. After Timothy, there was going to be a, somebody else, a, a faithful man somewhere who was going to have that chapter break in his life. You know, ministry with, you know, my pastor. That, that's what Timothy would say, ministry with my pastor, Paul. And somebody was going to say later on, ministry with my pastor, Timothy. And then there was going to be a second volume, ministry without my pastor, Timothy. Paul's expectation with regards to the messengers is that the messengers will change. Paul's expectation with regard to the message is that the message would stay the same. That messengers are going to change. In a hundred years, there'll be a different pastor in this church. If the church is still here and you know, there's no end of the world and all of that. If the Lord doesn't come back, there's gonna be a different pastor. And it is our prayer, if we do, what Paul is commending and commanding here is that the messenger will have changed, but the message will have remained the same. And whatever it is that God has called you to and gifted you in, uh, just part of how you grow in the gifting that God has given you is first you're learning from someone else everything they have to know, that time in Timothy's life was drawing to an end where he got to walk with Paul, talk with Paul, read Paul's letters. There was a season where he was on the receiving end of a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, a lot of godly counsel. But for for Timothy to continue to mature after Paul left, it would require him to take on that role of a teacher. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but uh, when you're a student, you kind of get the idea of what's going on if the teacher's a good teacher, but then if you've ever had to teach that same thing, you know everything about it (laughs) because you had to study it and you had to explain it in a way that was understandable to somebody else other than yourself. And whatever it is that God has called you to or gifted you with, if you feel like you've finally got a full understanding of it, I want to challenge you to find somebody who's called to it and not gifted to be your Timothy. So you can teach them and guide them and instruct them and give them the wisdom in, that you've gained. In that, uh, and just in parenting, you know, there, there's different stages of life where you think you know things, right? When you're first a teenager, you're like, I got this down. And then you move out and you're like, I don't have this down. <laughs> and then you're like, I finally got this down. And then you get married, and you're like, I don't got this down. <laughs> and after a while of being married, you're like, I got this down. And then you have kids, and you're like, I don't got this down. <laughs> What you're being challenged on is your own personal knowledge and integrity and being able to explain why and how you're doing things. Like I thought I knew things and then, then my kids are like, you know, asking me things I have never thought of. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, well, I, don't, I don't know these things. I just, I don't know. <laughs> it's the answer I give my kids so often because they're asking things I've never thought of. And when you are around younger, believers in Christ, they're going to ask things that you just never thought of. Like I've never thought to ask that question. I don't think anybody's ever thought to ask that question. <laughs> but if you want to grow in the things that God has gifted you in, find somebody to mentor. Help them grow, and you will find that you grow in that because they're going to ask you things that you just you didn't think to, to ask. <laughs> so wherever you're at, If you are a new believer, know that what God has called you to, he's gifted you in, and you should seek to be developed in, but that ultimately it's going to be God at work in you and through you. If you're a mature believer and you knew these things, and maybe you're getting bored honestly in the things that God has given you, you're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Find somebody, let me challenge you and find somebody that doesn't know and let them ask you questions, because they'll, they'll get you to the place where you're like, I don't know. <laughs> if you're not a believer here this morning, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. When you were born, where you were born, where you're at right now is not a mistake. It was on purpose and with purpose. In, like, in the same way that God had a plan and a purpose for Paul's life, his whole life, and there was a point in time when Paul said these two things, Lord, who are you and what is it that you want me to do? If you haven't had that moment in your life, know that there are answers to those questions for you. God wants to answer the question of who he is and what he wants you to do, and that there is no greater joy than walking in what God has created you for. And There's no greater joy than to know that the God of the universe is interested in your success in that. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever had a job where the boss was against you and wanted to see you fail, and then had another job where the boss was for you and wanted to see you succeed. What a difference that is. Like, having the boss there for you, you don't ever have to be afraid of asking questions or looking stupid or making mistakes because you know that he's there for you. They want you to be successful. It's that times 10 with the Lord. He's interested in you living a life that is faithful to him. And it's going to be hard. It's going to require personal sacrifices. It's not going to be easy. But there's, there's no joy that's going to compare to that. And I want to invite you, if you've never let the Lord be the Lord of your life, to be the Lord of your life. Because there's no greater joy than walking in obedience to him. Would you pray with me? As I pray, I want to call the worship team forward, and they'll close us in a song. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, for uh, the blessing it is to be a part of your family. Lord, that you've created us on purpose and with purpose. Lord, that you've given to us your Holy Spirit. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's been trying to walk in obedience to you apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, Lord, that they would ask this morning. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that they would receive from you the filling and overflowing of your spirit to empower them to walk in obedience to you. And Lord, that they would be mindful to ask for help as often as they need it. Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, if there's any here this morning that have never surrendered their heart to you to surrender their will so that yours might be accomplished in their life, Lord, that they would acknowledge you as the Savior. Lord, that they would acknowledge that our sins have separated us, but that your death on the cross has forgiven us. Lord, that not only are you our Lord, but you are our Savior first. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, we are hungry for what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.